Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Is it love? Is it abuse? Do you know the difference? Should you know the difference? Yes, you should know the difference between love and abuse. But that's what I talk about over at loveandabuse.com, my other podcast that deals with the challenges of a difficult relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friend or a family member, co-worker, whoever's being difficult in your life. Listen to the Love and Abuse podcast over at loveandabuse.com. You'll gain the tools and the wisdom that you need to help you through the challenges. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I want to help you learn the skill set you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. I am so glad that you took some time to connect with me today. I'm glad to be here connecting with you. I hope this uh, bench doesn't squeak while I'm recording. (laughs) I'm at somebody's condo right now. We're renting one in New Hampshire. That's just neither here nor there. I just don't have access to my studio. So sometimes you might hear a different sound every now and then. Doesn't really matter though, because I'm going to record the show no matter what. It is our last week on vacation and the show must go on. (laughs) No matter what, the show must go on. I want to get right into the first question today. Uh, This is an email-driven show, if you don't already know. This person wrote, I would like to know more about passive-aggressive behavior, what it is, and how does it manifest. I was told by a work supervisor that my client felt I was passive-aggressive, and my husband told me the same thing just the other day. I need to understand this more and realize when I'm behaving like that. Thank you for trying to help me. All right. Thank you for sharing that. This is something I know a lot about because I was passive-aggressive most of my life. In fact, um, I'm not going to, I actually hate this term, but I'm not going to beat a dead horse because I've talked about this in other episodes. And if you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, you can click on list entire episode library and just look up the word aggressive or passive in that search field that comes up and you'll find many episodes where I talked about that. However... Every time I talk about something, I like to take a little different angle on it because uh, I don't want to be repetitive, and I sometimes will hit the target for you, if I'm lucky, that you're looking for. So even if you have heard my episodes on passive-aggressive behavior before, maybe this will give you a a different angle that will help. So this person wrote, I want to know more about it and what it is and how does it manifest. So... My angle on passive-aggressive behavior today 
is basically saying it's the opposite of active assertive. Passive is where you don't want to be direct. Assertive is direct. And when you're passive aggressive, that means you have some aggression behind your indirect commentary or behavior. And you are sending a message in a way that is not actually the message you want to convey. It is a message meant to uh, kind of jab at them. It's like an emotional jab so that they get the message without you telling them the message. For example, and this is one I always use, I see the dishes aren't done yet. I see that the uh, trash hasn't been taken out yet. That is a passive-aggressive way to say it, at least the way I look at it, because you're not being direct. You're not saying, oh, I thought you were going to take out the trash. I see it's still there. Um, why? <laughs> that could be sort of passive-aggressive too, but it's really direct. I mean, because you still have some aggression under there or irritation or frustration under your um, tone, but what you're doing is you are being direct with them. I see that the trash isn't taken out yet. Now, somebody might say, well, that's passive-aggressive too. I see that this hasn't been done yet. So I might even change that now that I'm thinking about it in real time. I might even say, hey, I thought you were going to take out the trash. So I'd probably just remove that first uh, sentence. I thought you were going to take out the trash. Then you have a real conversation on it. And it might be uh, an argument. It might turn into an argument. But it's direct. Why be passive-aggressive at all? Well, we're usually afraid of confrontation when we're being passive-aggressive. I don't want confrontation, so what I'm going to do is speak in a way that is a little, maybe insulting, a little emotional jab, so that you get it, so that I don't have to be confrontational. I don't want to be confrontational, so I'm going to say things in a way that gets my point across, maybe in an ambiguous or vague way, but enough so that you feel it and hopefully you do what I want you to do. I notice the trash is still here. It's something you might say to a kid. Maybe that's where we learn it. <laughs> when we have kids, we become a little passive-aggressive to help them become more logical, help them put A plus B plus C together so they can reach the conclusion themselves. That could be a way that you become passive-aggressive too. You have kids and then you start saying things in a way to help them understand the right thing to do. However, it's still passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive behavior allows you to get away with hurtful commentary or a dig or an emotional jab, but have an excuse to say that you didn't really mean that. That's another thing with passive-aggressive behavior is that you can say, that's not what I meant. I, what I meant was this. So it gives you an escape plan. Your passive-aggressive behavior has an escape clause in it so that you can get out of uh, confrontation again. So if somebody says, why don't you just be direct with me? Are you angry with me? And you go, no, 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 that's, that's not what I mean at all. I just meant, and there's your escape. So what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to feel better 
so you don't have to be confrontational. And um, what's interesting is that this person apparently does it at home, does it at work. She said that she was told by a work supervisor that her client felt that she was being passive-aggressive, and the husband told her the same thing just the other day. So the way I look at passive-aggressive behavior and tackling it is asking yourself, and you've heard me say this before if you've listened to this show before, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? Seriously, think about something that you did or said that you were told was passive-aggressive. We're often not told that we're being passive-aggressive, but to the person who wrote, what did you uh, say to that client? How about that? What did you say to that client that you were told was passive-aggressive? And what you uh, want to do is ask yourself, what would I say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? That means you have no fear of confrontation and you really don't care how this turns out. You really don't care about the outcome. You don't care about um, showing your best side. You don't care if the company goes bankrupt. You just don't care about the outcome. So what would you do or say, or in this case, what would you say to this client if you had absolutely no fear of the consequences? Because I guarantee it's not going to match what you said if you actually were being passive-aggressive. And then when you figure out what you would have said, you'll be able to determine the difference of how you show up when you're being passive-aggressive and what a more active, assertive way to show up might be. But I do think that you do have to deal with your fear of confrontation. Why do you fear confrontation? What's going to happen? Will you be yelled at? Will you be punched in the face? Will it be worse than that? Will it be nothing like that? We often bring in our fear of confrontation into conversations and situations from something that happened to us a long time ago or from some fear we developed a long time ago. And we never get over it. We never test it. This is one of my favorite subjects because I've tested it over and over and over again because I used to be passive-aggressive. I used to be passive-aggressive with another guy at where I used to work who was also passive-aggressive. You should have heard our conversations. They went nowhere. <laughs> and we both left feeling like the other person was a big A, A-S-S, you know what. We both felt like the other guy was a jerk. I'm sure he didn't like me because I was passive-aggressive, and I didn't like him because he was passive-aggressive. I just didn't know it was called that back then. I just didn't want to be confrontational. Now, if I were confrontational, being the person I am now, I would have told this guy, it was a situation about answering the phone, hey, you know, you don't answer the phones much, and I have to do all the work. Would you mind answering more? Back then, I didn't talk like that. I found... What I thought was a nicer way to say it, but really it was a jab. It was one of those emotional jabs that I wanted him to feel and figure out for himself. So I wasn't direct. I forget what I said, but I was definitely passive aggressive. And then later on, because I feared confrontation, I even apologized for my passive aggressive behavior. Again, I didn't call it passive-aggressive behavior. I just apologized because I felt bad in myself that I was mad at someone else. <laughs> so I wasn't even giving myself validation for being angry. 
I wasn't saying, hey, it's okay to be angry. It is okay. It's okay to be angry if you're angry. It's okay to be irritated. It's okay to be frustrated, even if you think the other person doesn't deserve it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, uh, but it doesn't matter. Whatever you feel is valid. I want you to validate yourself. This is what I had to do. I had to start validating that my feelings were valid. I am angry at that person. And then my inner dialogue would start. You shouldn't be angry with that person. Maybe you should be friends with that person. Maybe you should um, explain that uh, you didn't mean what you said. How about if I just start saying, this is how I feel and I mean it. That's a tough step. It's a leap of faith. And it is something I've tested over and over again. I finally started speaking my mind. And I started doing it with, quote, dangerous people. Not violent people, but people that I felt had power over me. The boss. My girlfriend. Not this one. <laughs> my partners in my life. But even this one, even my partner today, I will not fear confrontation because if I have a feeling or an emotion or a thought, it's a valid one, and I'm going to bring it up. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to bring it up. Hey, this is on my mind, and I want to talk about it. It's just straightforward. It's active, assertive. I'm going to be direct. I'm going to assert myself in a uh, what I would call healthy way, meaning I'm not going to be a jerk about it. I prefer to stand up for myself with love for others. I honor myself with love for others. And um, this person who wrote, you can honor yourself with respect for your client. You can love yourself with love for your husband. Loving yourself means you validate yourself and you honor the person you are and you honor the things you want to do. You know that they are okay. And it's okay to have certain thoughts and feelings, even if they're negative and even if you think they don't deserve those thoughts or feelings. Hey, you know, you made me angry when you said that. Oh, but I shouldn't really say that because, you know, they bring in the money or they clean the house every day. I shouldn't say these things. So I don't want validation. I'm just going to stuff that back down so I can hold on to it and bring it into a future conversation where I explode with anger about it. And then, of course, I don't want to be confrontational, so uh, I will make sure that they don't know what I'm angry about. I'll just explode about something else. Yes, I'm being a little sarcastic, but I hope you can see through or read between the lines of what I'm saying is that we don't want to hold this stuff in. We want to let it go when we can. We want to bring it out, bring it up for discussion, put it on the table. And so I'm going to finish with this person. She said, you know, I was told by a work supervisor that my client felt I was being passive-aggressive. And this is a learning opportunity. When I see stuff like this, it's a learning opportunity. It's like when somebody writes a review for my show or my other show, Love and Abuse, they'll say um, it's, it, it's rare, but there will be people that will be in a state of mind that uh, absolutely hate what I'm saying. <laughs> they think it's dangerous. They think it's abusive. I don't think what I'm talking about now is that, but I'll talk about some very sensitive subjects. And 
I will do so with the utmost respect, utmost love and care and compassion for the person I'm talking to and talking about because I want them to feel better. I want them to be in a healthy space. I want them to not have to deal with toxic behavior of others and not be around that toxic behavior. So I do everything I can to approach a subject that I know is sensitive uh, in a way that is, I believe, the healthiest and most loving and kind and compassionate toward themselves and even toward others. And when I do that, some people, they don't understand it or they misinterpret it or they only hear a part of it and they think that um, I'm awful. So what ends up happening is that I'll get uh, the occasional. Again, it's rare, but it, it, you know, it affects me when I get this stuff and they say, you're abusive. You know, what you're doing, you sound narcissistic. They'll say things like that. You are dangerous. I've heard that too. That doesn't feel very good to hear that stuff. But I, what I like to do is use that as a learning opportunity because what they'll say is, hey, you know, in this episode, you said this and that's abusive. So I'll re-listen to that episode and make sure that um, I didn't mess up. I want to make sure. I mean, it hurts when I hear this because that's far from who I want to be and what I want to do on this planet. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to be as helpful as I can. So I'll listen to these old episodes that, um, again, it's, it's rare. But when it comes up, I want to hear what I said back then. And, of course, my first thought is, uh, oh, my God, what did I say? Or what did I tell this person to do? Did I say something that might be uh, dangerous? And so far, so good. <laughs> I don't think I've screwed up anywhere, but it's something I address when it comes up. And I use it as a, a learning experience. And I also understand that people are in their own space when they hear the stuff I talk about, when they're looking for something specific and I'm not addressing that specific thing, you know, not because I don't want to, because I, I didn't understand where they were or I just misunderstood where they were. So uh, again, it's just a learning opportunity when somebody says, hey, you're doing this. It may not be true. You may not be doing that at all or it might be true. So that's an important opportunity. Just like you're doing now, you're taking this person who wrote, you're taking this opportunity to write to me and ask, what is this passive aggressive behavior? Where did it come from? How does it manifest? And so she ends this letter by saying, I need to understand this more and realize when I'm behaving like that. Well, that might be the last question you have. How do I realize this? How do I know when I'm behaving like this? It's really practice. You practice asking yourself that question, and it's a lot of hindsight. So in hindsight, and your husband is a great person to bounce things off of because he has told you you're being passive-aggressive or have been passive-aggressive. So ask him, when was I passive-aggressive? What did I say? What did I do? And be open. Don't be defensive. And don't say, well, that's not true. <laughs> don't go there. Just be open. So when he says something that will probably maybe feel hurtful, just be open to it. Well, you said this, and it really hurt my feelings, so I didn't say anything. I just moved on. You might feel like saying, well, I, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, or that's not what I said at all. Don't go there. Just listen. Open your mind. Open your heart. 
bring it in because his interpretation of what happened is real to him. Even if he got the facts wrong, even if you know you said something else, doesn't matter. That's his interpretation, which makes it his reality, which is important for you to help you understand what you need to work on. And so when he says, well, when you came in the kitchen that day and you said X, Y, Z, you can reflect on that and then run that question by your, your brain asking, uh, what would I have said if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences at that moment? And what does that mean? Having no fear of the consequences might mean, what if I had no fear that my husband would get mad at me, that he would want a divorce right after, that he would yell at me? What would I say if I had no fear? And that's when your truth comes out. That's when your inner, deeper, most meaningful truth comes out. And it's usually what you avoided saying. And let me just say this in conclusion. We usually avoid saying things because either A, we're afraid of the consequences, or B, we don't want to hurt the person's feelings, um, or C, something else. I can't think of it right now. But there's often a reason we aren't direct. And I'm not saying you have to be direct. Hey, honey, you smell like garbage. That's pretty direct and probably hurtful. So I wouldn't say that, but I also wouldn't avoid something that needs to be said if you feel negative about it. For example, what I just said, hey, honey, you smell like garbage. You may feel like you don't want to go out in public with them because of how they smell. And if that's the case, then that might be something you bring up. I mean, unless they have a medical condition and they can't help it, that's a totally different thing. I'm talking about, you know, they um, don't know that they forgot to wash their shirt or didn't put on deodorant or something like that, and it bothers you. This is only if it bothers you. If it bothers you, are you going to swallow that bother or are you going to speak about it? And is it really necessary? Because sometimes you don't have to speak about it. You don't have to speak about what bothers you. Sometimes you'll just have to accept that it might be an issue, but Can you live with it? Can you be okay with it? And if you can be okay with it, that means eh, you really can't complain about it. (laughs) You've chosen to be okay with it. You've chosen to accept it. And because you've chosen to accept it, you are now past it. You can't swallow the bother for it to come out later in some argument as something else because all that negative energy builds up. You have to be okay with it. If you've chosen to accept it, and be okay with it. You have to be okay with it. That way, if you don't like the way they smell and you're okay with it, you can't bring it up again. That's just the way it is. You can't bring it up. And that may be a bad example, but I think you know what I mean. And uh, I hope this helps for the person who wrote. Um, And definitely tune into my other episodes where I talked about passive-aggressive behavior. I have a whole episode or more on it. And uh, I think you'll get a lot from those too. You can find those at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I'll be right back after this. One of my favorite things about podcasting is being introduced to new products, new services, and then being able to share them with you. 
of course, after I do all the vetting, <laughs> after I make sure that they are a quality product or service, just so I don't look like a, an idiot <laughs> sharing them with you. I want to tell you about ZocDoc, and I know I will look smart for telling you this. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. And what you do is you download this app over at ZocDoc.com forward slash brain. And you'll get to download the ZocDoc app for free and then start your search for a top-rated doctor. Now, why do you need this? You're probably telling me, I have insurance. I already know the doctors. Well, even with insurance, this is one of the places that ZocDoc has really helped me and millions of other people. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. Not only that, finding and booking a doctor that's right for you. It doesn't need to be a terrible experience. So that's ZocDoc.com forward slash brain and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. I love simplifying a process of finding the right doctor. I think you're going to love it too. Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com forward slash brain. ZocDoc.com forward slash brain. And speaking of good resources, the Jordan Harbinger podcast is one of those resources I highly recommend because you get the best of the world's most clever, most brilliant and creative people. Jordan interviews extremely interesting people with stories that might actually change your life. Here's Jordan right now to explain exactly what you're going to get on his show. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel, and the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, even the head of the CIA. Come join and have a listen for yourself to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. And let me just mention a couple episodes that might interest you. One of them's called An Abuser's Dead. Get him out of your head. About somebody that doesn't want to go to their abuser's funeral. That's a big one. And there's another one called Managing Pain in Your Body and Brain. Go to jordanharbinger.com forward slash start. That's Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, Harbinger, H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N-G-E-R.com forward slash start some fantastic stuff i hope you check it out welcome back i'm going to read you this next email it's about a relationship that um is pretty sour for one of the partners in it and You'll see why in a moment. Uh, this person wrote, I love your podcast. I need your opinion so bad. I've been married for over two decades, and my husband is disabled. He doesn't want to go to physical therapy, and he's never tried to walk or attempt to better himself. Ever since he was diagnosed, he didn't work for the rest of our marriage, and his disability is not even enough to get him an apartment. I want to have my own place. We have kids, and in a few years, they're going to leave the nest. I am the one doing everything in the house. I mow the lawn. I fix the air conditioning. I work to pay the bills. There are sometimes I only have three hours of sleep to get things done. I take the kids to the doctors. I take them to school activities. I'm doing errands while he's sitting there and doing nothing. He doesn't even fold the clothes. He can't help. He is controlling all the finances. My payroll goes directly to our joint account, and he's always asking for receipts, and um, I can't handle it anymore. 
He calls me names. He's jealous to my coworkers every time he hears me talking to them in a meeting. I didn't even recognize this was abusive until COVID when I started working remotely. I'm tired and hopeless. I want a better life, but I don't know how to start. He won't have a place to live if I divorce him, but I can't live my life like this, and I don't want to be stuck and miserable for the rest of this life. The only reason why I stay is because I grew up without parents, and I don't want my kids to experience that. Paul, I have to carry him to go to the bathroom, carry him to the car for his doctor's appointment. He's heavy, and I am small, but despite that, his family never appreciates what I do for him. I have been crying almost every day, and I feel so stuck in this situation. I really need your help and your opinion. Thank you for sharing that. That is definitely very, very difficult. It is a hard situation to deal with. And I have to be careful about this subject matter because there are people living with disabled partners and uh, relatives or family. They're living with people with disabilities, and um, they do have to do a lot. And it's difficult to give advice in this situation because some people can't take care of themselves. But I like to look at the disability as secondary, at least the way I'm answering it now, and you'll see why in a moment. The first and primary is you have a partner, and he has certain uh, responsibilities to be that partner. He has a certain way he should show up. It should be supportive. It should be kind. It should be compassionate. It should be caring. It should be loving. In fact, he should look at you as someone so wonderful to do everything that you do that he'd want you to feel like the most special person in the world. And instead, he's not doing that. You described everything he was doing, and that that is very, very challenging for you and probably for him too. It's probably very challenging, I know it is, for someone who's disabled to not be able to do anything, not be able to move on their own and uh, have to rely on someone. But um, I'm going to take this from your perspective and just give you my thoughts. I don't know if I can help you, but I will definitely give you my thoughts. So I'm going to hone in on one thing that you said. You said the only reason I stay is because I grew up without parents And I don't want my kids to experience that. So here's where I go with this. If someone gave me an option to go back in time and be without one of my parents, I would grab that in a heartbeat. I'm not saying this is your answer. I'm not saying that this is the right thing to do. I'm saying that me personally, having grown up with... um, I guess another type of disability, alcoholism, not me, but my stepfather. He was very, very difficult, very toxic. Um, He hurt my mom. He he has hurt other family members, and he was violent. He was just very scary to be around. And if somebody said, well, you have a choice. Let's just say that uh, I died and reincarnation is real, and I come back, and I have a choice. Let's just say I have the choice. And they said, You can grow up in this family with this highly toxic, alcoholic person that you're going to be scared of, or you can grow up with just one parent, your mom. I already know what I choose. My stepfather has done a lot of damage. Having parents shouldn't be 
the criteria. I mean, it shouldn't just be having parents because one or both parents could be toxic, could be dangerous, could be scary, or could be a very terrible role model. Because who are they going to learn from when they get into relationships? If they're not already in relationships, I don't know what the ages are, but your husband is treating you badly. He's not caring. He's not kind. He's not supportive. He's not loving. In fact, some of the stuff he's doing is just downright mean. And so when you have kids in a relationship where they look to their role models on how to treat other people, one of their role models, regardless of the disability, is their dad and how he's treating his wife. And they're going to see that and absorb it in ways that we don't know. I mean, they may be exactly like him, or maybe they'll be completely the opposite. And both ways could be dysfunctional. It could turn into dysfunction or toxicity when they get into a relationship. So I just don't want you to stay in any rut because you think it's better for a child to have both parents when one of those parents may not be the best role model. And I say this knowing that maybe people will be upset with me because some people will say a child should have two parents. And I agree. I think a child should have parents. I think they should have loving, caring, kind, compassionate, supportive parents. And I don't even know if your husband treats your children well. I don't know. But all I'm doing is answering your email from this perspective, from your perspective, and giving you my thoughts that when a child has a role model that mistreats someone else, they are very likely to develop a toxic behavior themselves or dysfunctional behavior themselves, even if they go in the opposite direction. And I'll explain that. Um, When I was growing up, my stepfather drank all the time, daily, sometimes passing out every single day and uh, very aggressive, and I developed an aversion to alcohol, and I developed aversion to drugs and anything that altered my state of mind. So I never really took anything. I never drank anything. I never took any drugs, never smoked any pot or anything like that that kids today, (laughs) a lot of kids today do, or kids back then did. And so I grew up very sober. (laughs) I I was very straight-laced, but that was me going in the opposite direction. I didn't want to be him, so I became very judgmental, very critical of those who did it, of those who drank, of those who smoked, of those who did drugs. I became critical back then, so I was toxic and dysfunctional myself. So I was doing the exact opposite of what he's doing, yet I was still toxic. So I had a lot of healing to do because of that, but he was a terrible role model. Even if I never acted like him at all, I still acted in a way that um, I believed was right. Because that's what kids do. They act in a way they believe was is right or in a way to survive or to get through their upbringing without pain. If they can get through their upbringing without pain or suffering or what they feel like might be death, whatever they interpret that as back you know, when they're kids, then they're going to develop coping mechanisms to help them deal with it. And my coping mechanism was just to have sky-high standards for those around me, especially those in my love life. And uh, that ruined a lot of relationships because one of my parents wasn't a positive role model. He was 
so dangerous and toxic. So that's what I got from my childhood. And I had to go to therapy. I had to do a lot of reflecting on all my terrible decisions and my relationships failed. And finally in my forties, I started figuring it out. And, um, that's what happened. I just started learning this stuff and now able to share with you what I went through and maybe things to consider. So the reason I'm telling you this person who wrote, because I don't want you to have your decision about staying or leaving based on a child having two parents. Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying that it would be great if they did, but they have to be somewhat healthy in my opinion. That doesn't mean that unhealthy parents shouldn't be able to raise their kids or be with kids or be in a family. I'm not even going there. I'm not even going to say that. All I'm saying is don't allow the thought that two parents makes a healthier child um, invade your mind and cause you not to make decisions that might be healthier for everyone involved. Because right now, someone might look at your situation and say, you're enabling your husband to hurt you. I don't say that because I don't want you to think that I'm blaming you for anything. Definitely not. You have been married a long time. You probably slipped into this role that you have to do a lot of stuff for him because he can't. And that's very honorable. That's very noble. I totally respect that. You've done a lot of work. And um, it's very tough. Like I said, this is a very tough issue to deal with because what do you do? Do you just abandon him and leave him uh, to be whatever he needs to do? I'm not going to say that's an answer at all. I'm going to say that maybe because, hear me out, you have all the power. (laughs) You have all the money. You're making all the money. You do all the stuff around the house. You even carry him around and do everything you can for him. Because you have all that power, maybe you just need to make some decisions for both of you. Maybe you need to be the decision maker here. That's risky for me to say too. I I don't know your situation. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe it's scary as hell when I say that. But I do believe you need to reconsider your role in this because if you have to do everything, then you have a say on how you want to be treated. I mean... You have a say anyway, but with all of this stuff that you do, all these responsibilities and obligations and everything that you do for him, he should be kissing your feet. He should be so grateful he has someone that does all of this. And the fact that he doesn't recognize that and continues to put you down and belittle you and his insecurities come up, you know, he's got some emotional stuff going on he needs to deal with along with his physical disability. But again, I'm just putting his physical disability aside because the way he's acting is not like a husband. Reminds me of that scene in Crocodile Dundee when um, the guy was being a real jerk. He was in a wheelchair rolling around in this bar, just being a jerk to everyone. And so Crocodile Dundee gets in his face and everyone's trying to stop Crocodile Dundee and he says, what are you doing? That guy's a cripple. And, of course, that's not politically correct. It's kind of offensive. But um, the guy says, no, no, it's okay. Let him, you know, let him talk or whatever he's saying. The guy in the wheelchair said, you know, if I wasn't in this chair, I'd punch your lights out. And so Crocodile gets in his own chair, and he goes, all right. And he was going to swing at him. (laughs) He's going to have a little fight. 
And the guy in the wheelchair says, who do you see when you look at me? And Crocodile says, I see a man in the wheelchair acting like a jerk in the wheelchair. And that was such a good scene in that movie because he was telling him that it doesn't matter if you're disabled, you're still being a jerk. You're still doing the wrong thing. You're just being rude to people and you're rolling around bumping into people and expecting them to move for you. The disability didn't matter because his personality was just asinine. He was just a jerk. So that scene, you know, was a pivotal scene in the movie and helped them become friends. And um, he felt like he was being treated like a normal human being, the guy in the wheelchair. So I wanted to tell you this because this is what I see. I see someone acting like a jerk in a wheelchair. I don't know if he's in a wheelchair. He probably is. And because of that, he needs to act differently. He needs to work on this. He needs to become the person that you would rather be with instead of somebody that uh, you can't stand being around. And so this is why I look at it as this isn't about the disability. It's about the person. And would you feel differently if he wasn't disabled and he showed up as this person? If you say, no, I would probably leave him faster, (laughs) then you already have your answer. And again, I'm not saying that you should leave him. There might be something you have to put in place. He might need a caretaker. And unfortunately, you've adopted that um, role as his caretaker and his partner. And it's not working because he's not making it easy at all for you to be his partner. In fact, he, he's just being a difficult patient and a difficult person. And I don't even see the word partner in here at all the way he's acting. So I don't know if this is enough to compel you to make a decision, but I do know you have all the power. (laughs) You have every bit of power here. And that has nothing to do with his disability. You're doing, I mean, it does in some ways, but you're doing all the work. You're making all the money. And he should be grateful for what you're doing. And if he's not grateful, then it's time to speak up. It might be time just to say something. And if he wants to call his mom or his sister or whoever he calls and complain about you, who cares? That's his side of the family. I understand that they're your family too and you've adopted them probably in your life, but toxic people are toxic people. And if they can't see all the difficulty you're going through, um, then they probably don't deserve your time or attention. That sounds cold. That sounds like I'm telling you to distance yourself away from them. And I'm not saying that you should, but if it were me, (laughs) that's what I would do because I don't need toxic people in my life to tell me how to live my life who don't even support me or care what I'm going through and even think I'm doing things wrong because they believe somebody that's treating me like a jerk. So I can't really trust them I can't trust to have them in my life. I can't trust that they're going to see me objectively. So if they don't see me objectively and they don't see what I'm doing and they can't get past their own interpretation of what's going on because they're being toxically coerced, there's nothing you can do. So you have to move on and take care of your children and yourself. And right now you've set yourself up for certain obligations. You might have to make different arrangements if you can for those obligations, you know, taking care of your husband. And if you have to make a transition there, 
there might be something that he can do. Maybe disability will take care of somebody who lives alone. I don't know. And again, I'm not telling you that that's the path you should take. I just know that you have the power here. And it might be time to say, look, I'm not going to take this abuse anymore. You have to stop. And if you don't stop, then I'm leaving. That's not my advice. I'm just saying that's what I would do. So that is very difficult, I know. And um, I definitely feel for you. But I also know that um, you do not have to take abusive behavior from anyone, wheelchair or not, disability or not. You don't have to take it. You don't deserve it. You've done enough in this life to earn respect, kindness, love, care, support, compassion. You've earned it. And if you're not getting it, it's time to demand it. There's my not advice for you, my thoughts, my opinions. And I know this this is very challenging, but sometimes you have to love yourself more than others are capable of doing. And that might mean doing things that they may not agree with. But it's certainly better than being controlled and belittled and insulted and all that stuff. You, you really need to start loving yourself to the point where you don't allow that kind of behavior in your life anymore. Whatever that means to you. I wish you the best with this. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons of the week. Stephen, good to see you again. Donald, good to see you. Kamal, am I saying that right? Uh, Great to have you on board. Kamal joined the patron program. Thank you for your support. So good to see you. Paige, Daisy, Brian, Samaya, Deborah, all of you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your support. So glad to see you. My heart is always warm when I read your names. I'm so grateful for your support. Thank you, patrons. And if you find value in this show like these patrons did, head over to moretob.com and you can support the show. You can give once or monthly, however you'd like. moretob.com And for a podcast on how to deal with difficult relationships, visit loveandabuse.com. That sounds like something that the person from the last segment might need, how to deal with that difficult relationship, but she was definitely in a difficult situation. Head over to loveandabuse.com if you are trying to navigate the difficult relationship. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, head over to healedbeing.com. That sounds like her husband. (laughs) He needs to head over there and check that out because you can turn your life around. And if there's still love in her heart for you, you will learn how to heal from the coping mechanisms that you might have or the bad behavior that you're doing. There's, There's a way to turn that around. Go to healedbeing.com. I don't think he's listening, but for anyone that needs that, that's the um, program I run to help people that are hurtful to the people they love. Stop being hurtful. It's for emotionally abusive people to stop being emotionally abusive. Healedbeing.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. I'm going to read you this message that came in. She says, Hey, Paul, I've been listening to both your podcasts for a while. Thank you so much for the work you do. 
I grew up with a mom who had some strong narcissistic traits and a father who stayed not allowing any other options to be on his table. Uh, Through that, he gathered a few manipulative traits as well. Right when he was building up his strength to leave my mother, he had a stroke, and he has been paralyzed and unable to communicate at all since. Wow. She's been able to get around better now, but somehow, even without her words, she can be very manipulative. I've been so empathetic with my family, and I've put myself in everyone's shoes and ended up ended up being barefoot myself. That's a great visual there. I finally allowed myself to open up to my close friends about the things at home. It was so confusing for me because I understand everyone and why they felt and acted the way they do. Thanks to your show, I have a much clearer mind. I've realized that it's not as much everyone around me giving me anxiety as much as it is my mind not allowing me to say no to the people I love. Sure, when I say no now, they react in an unsettling way at times, but I can mentally handle that over the deep-rooted mixed emotions I had between not knowing my own power. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. Thank you for your words. Thank you so much for writing. I wanted to read this because I was actually going to comment on the power part, having no power. And that's what can happen. Highly sensitive people, highly empathetic people, they lose their power by allowing themselves to get uh, sucked in to other people's issues and other people's drama and um, challenges. And it's all noble, empathetic, compassionate people really care about other people. But what ends up happening is they end up uh, being overly compassionate toward others and not enough compassion for themselves. They end up um, putting too much time and energy into other people and how they feel instead of connecting with themselves. And so highly empathetic or highly sensitive people can do this. And I'm not saying it's a choice. I'm saying it happens. It can happen where you are so sensitive to someone else's emotional state and you care so much about their emotional state and who and how they are showing up and how they feel that you will get sucked right into it. And again, it's a very compassionate, empathetic approach, but it can really drain your energy. So my advice for anyone that needs to hear this is to remember to be compassionate toward, toward yourself first. Be empathetic with yourself. I know that doesn't make any sense, but do it. Try it. What would I do if I was empathetic toward myself? What does that mean to me? How would I do that? How would I be empathetic? How do I show compassion toward myself and make sure that I have enough compassion for me that I don't drain myself when I'm compassionate for someone else. Because that's what happens is we give, or we can give so much compassion and empathy towards someone else that we don't have any left over. We're doing it in reverse. We have to be so kind and caring and compassionate toward ourselves so that we are abundant in it so that when someone else comes along and we want to, or maybe have no choice but to express that kindness and caring and compassion toward them as well, it doesn't drain us. We have to be abundant in it. That means loving yourself. That means caring about yourself so much that you don't allow toxic people into your life or you try to stay away from them or try to deal with them as much as possible or just put the hand up and say, talk to the hand or tell them, I don't want this in my life. Or start respecting me more. 
you know, when it comes to toxic people. But what, what ends up happening is we don't show enough compassion. We don't show enough love and respect toward ourselves. And that's, that might be mean for me to say. I don't mean to be mean because you might say, well, I love myself. I respect myself. What I'm saying is if you find yourself uh, drained after being in a conversation or a relationship with someone uh, because you are showing them so much kindness and caring and compassion and respect and they don't reciprocate and there's no return of that energy, you end up drained because you need to have enough of it in yourself for yourself so that you are abundant in it so when somebody comes along and you also give it to them, you don't lose your portion of it. What does that mean? That might mean if you don't have enough to give to others, you might have to work on yourself a little bit more. You might have to invest in yourself emotionally a little bit more. Again, I'm not saying it's a choice. I'm not saying that it's easy to do. I'm saying keep it in mind. If you find yourself drained around people uh, that drain you, <laughs> keep it in mind. Did, did I give myself enough respect? Or did I let them disrespect me? And do I keep letting them disrespect me? Not that you're letting anyone do this. Not that it's your choice. It just happens sometimes. Some people are disrespectful. I like to look at it this way. If you are going to disrespect me, not you listening, <laughs> but this person over here, if they're going to disrespect me, I'm going to ask myself, am I going to allow this to happen? And I'm going to ask myself, can I love myself enough to prevent this from happening? Can I protect myself? Can I get away from this? Because if I love myself, if I really, really do love and respect myself, that's what I'm going to do. I want to prevent this from happening to me, block this, defend this, stand up for myself, walk away, whatever it takes, because I love myself enough to not want that in my life and not have it uh, become a part of my life. And again, I know that sometimes this stuff is not a choice. Sometimes we are exposed to toxic people that continuously bring us down and de-energize us. And we just have to do what we can. So that might take extra work to be self-caring, self-loving, self-empathetic. I know it's weird to think self-empathetic, but how would you act? How would you behave if you were to be empathetic towards yourself? That might be a little meditation you do or something to think about to help you regain the energy you need so that you are abundant in it when others come along that uh, sometimes drain you. So, give you something to think about, hopefully. If not, then, well, keep an open mind <laughs> because that's how you step into your power. And that will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.